Man, that was, um, that was an incredible three songs of worship this morning. And um, I will say if songs of the faith like that don't move you, um, then you might want to check on your, your mover. Right? <laughs> Those things don't move you. Um, man, just to, think, I, I, just to think of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Um, power. Power is one word we could use to describe it. Uh, but I do want to thank you for being here. See you guys back there in the back. For us, it's, it's newlyweds for you guys because we haven't seen you uh, since you were married. But Andrew and Megan, good to see you guys today from uh, way out of town. So anyway, great to see you guys. Uh, we are back in our Mark series this morning. If I can preach after singing that, <clears throat> if my voice is still here. I sit on the front row for many reasons, but one of them being you can't hear the way I sing. And so I do that on purpose. I don't want to scare anybody away uh, with off-key um, yelling. And so that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I do. Um, but we are in our third Sunday um, in the book of Mark, a series we've entitled Dirt Roads. And we're going to be traveling with Jesus. This is the life and ministry the works and the acts of Jesus through the eyes of what we believe to be Peter um, and, then, and then giving this directly to Mark to pin down for his gospel. There are no doubt some instances within the gospel of Mark where we will see Mark probably was there, but the majority of the book of Mark we have uh, that we believe is Peter's rendition of what happened. And so, you know, as we, as we go through here, you know, maybe we'll see, you know, Peter and John kind of had a little bit of a rivalry. Um, and we'll see if Mark happens to highlight Peter's uh, wins over John. You know, um, uh, John always talked about himself and referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I think is just hilarious. Um, but like, I'm going to refer to myself as the pastor that Jesus loves. And uh, anyway, but we see, we'll see that come out in the book of Mark some. But today we're going to be in the first chapter of the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles this morning, the first chapter of the book of Mark, we're going to begin in verse 21 in just a second. And we're going to speak on the subject this morning, the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. And can I say this as a recovering rebellious teenager, <clears throat> there's something within our flesh sometimes that has an automatic resistance to anything authoritative. Anybody else in the same boat as me? A anybody else? If you, if you see a sign that says, do not go through this, this right here. Do not, do not enter back here. Does anyone else just have like an innate, like, I'll be back. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, one, one second. The worst thing you can do to me is put something in my life that says do not open. Because at some point, very quickly, I'm going to open it. Right? We have a natural pushback against authority. None of us like when our bosses tell us what to do and are authoritative. We, we bristle against that. 
And then we get old enough to realize, you know what, if they're telling us what to do, we just do it, and it's all on, it's their fault if it doesn't work, so yeah, it's kind of cool. But many of us aren't there yet. But authority, obviously in our culture today, we see a, an aggressive rejection of authority, and certainly there are some healthy things to that. Authority should not be blindly followed, and we should not put ourselves in situations, uh, in abusive situations, no doubt, strictly because of quote-unquote authority. But we do live in a culture that resents authority. We live in a culture that wants our way and our way only. But here we have Jesus on the scene in Capernaum, and he was about to display his authority in a real way. Let's see what happens in Mark chapter 1 in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath. By the way, pause. We've seen that word immediately. Last week, I think it was two or three times in the text. And Jesus immediately went to call the disciples. And immediately the disciples followed. And then Jesus here went into Capernaum and, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered. Side note, unrelated to the sermon today, but I do believe that God works in moments. God works in, 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 these, in these moments that he brings together in his sovereignty. And I believe that there are times when, when God lays something on our hearts or when God moves in our hearts a certain way where the Holy Spirit speaks to us in a certain way. And there's that moment that, that we need to soak in or that we need to act upon. And oftentimes that moment fleets. In our connect groups in the last two weeks, we've been talking about opportunities to be generous and to give. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit gives you those moments to be generous. And if you're not careful, if you walk in the store and say, I'll take care of it when I come back out the store, that person that's out there, that person's gone when you come back out. Right? So I believe God works in these moments. And that just had my thoughts because this first chapter of Mark the word immediately is used so often. But they went into Capernaum, verse 21, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. By the way, the demons knew who he was quicker than his own people knew who he was. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And then immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever. Uh, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately, immediately, the moment, the fever left her. And she served them. Verse 32, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. 
And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. God, on your authority, the final authority upon which we rest our faith today, your holy word. God, speak through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The authority of Jesus. I want us to think through that today. But I don't want us to necessarily think through the authority of Jesus as it relates to us 2,000 plus years later. However, I want us to think about what this felt like and what this was like in a legitimate time as Jesus was really physically walking on this earth. We ought to always think about that, the original context. Think about the authority of Jesus. If you were just a Jew who happened to be walking down the street and who happened to hear of a miracle worker, you happened to hear about someone who was healing diseases or casting out demons. Think about that as kind of the filter this morning as we walk through the text. So number one, I want us to see this. Number one, the authority of his teachings. They went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus heads to the synagogue on the Sabbath and begins to teach. Now, I don't know what it looked like uh, for Jesus to show up in a synagogue and to get the microphone, if they had microphones, which they didn't. But how does he get the stage, right? And what, what's the process of walking into a synagogue and saying, I got something to say? You know, we're not too big around here, and the Holy Spirit can move how he wants to, but we're not too big around here, like in the middle of the sermon, someone stands up and goes, I got a word from the Lord. Usually I'm like, awesome, man, hold that word. And at the very, at the very end, we'll, we'll, we'll hear it, right? Um, how did that work? I don't know. Jesus walks in, and, and the only thing I can think of is that his reputation had already begun to precede him. That he shows up in the synagogue, and someone goes over to the guy in charge, right? And it's like, hey, I think the guy that's been healing the people, I think he's here. Hey, I think the guy who John the Baptist, you know, you remember John the crazy guy, you know, with the animal skins? Yeah, that guy, his cousin. His cousin's in town, Jesus, the one that he spoke about. And evidently that's what happened because Jesus walked into the synagogue and he was able to begin immediately teaching. And I will say there are very few people in this world that if they walk through that door at 10.05 after we've started singing, there are a couple of people in my life where I would say, I'm not going to preach if you're here, you're preaching. Thanks for coming this morning, you know. There are a couple of, I would say, I would call them for me heroes of mine that, that I would say, listen, I'm not preaching with you in the audience. You're going to come up here and preach, and I'm going to sit down and shut up. There are very few people that way. But Jesus, evidently, in this scenario, he was that person. But his teaching this morning, it was different. It was something out of the ordinary for the people that were in the synagogue that day. It was something that was out of the ordinary for the Jews of that day. He did not teaches one who was handling the law, explaining more and more rules or regulations. No, this teaching was different. He commanded their attention. 
the attributes this morning of Jesus' teaching looked like this. They were, number one, they were astonishing. The teaching and the preaching of Jesus, it was astonishing. That's what it says in our text, that the people, they were astonished at his teaching. They were taken back. They were surprised even, as if he spoke words that they had never heard before. As if he spoke truth that they had never heard before. And once again, don't think of this, of this initially from our perspective here in 2021. Think of it in the perspective of you're a Jew and you've been taught the law your entire life. And you've been taught that this animal on this day has to be skinned this exact way and the blood has to be applied this exact way and it has to be on Thursday between noon and three. And you have to be wearing this and you have to measure it because if you have a neighbor that's only got two people in their house, they might be able to come over and partake of your sacrifice, but maybe not. So you've got to make sure the lamb's big enough. Right? This is the teaching that they have been hearing their entire lives. And imagine the astonishment when Jesus, and I don't know what he said, but imagine the astonishment when Jesus shows up and says, I'm the Lamb of God. The law that you've had to, to keep for centuries and centuries and thousands of years, I'm here to fulfill that. Hey, and, and just to show my authority, we're going to get to it, let me, let me heal this. Let me cast out this. Imagine that you're sitting there as a Jew. You're astonished at his teachings. What is this? I came to hear someone get up and read another element of the law, maybe from, from Deuteronomy or maybe from Leviticus. I came today just to hear the law, but I was astonished at what I heard. Keep in mind, Jesus wasn't preaching at this, in this context to those that were lost and in the world. He was teaching, in this context, he was teaching the church people. He was teaching the religious crowd. And he astonished them with his words. They knew the law, yet he still wowed them with his teaching. It had to be because he was introducing a concept that they had never heard before, and that concept was grace. It had to be because he was flipping the law on its head and saying, I'm fulfilling the law and I am all you need. They were astonished, but not only that, the Jesus teaching, they were astonishing, but secondly, they were authoritative. They were authoritative. And make no mistake, when Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke with supernatural authority. He taught them as one having authority with authority he commands the unclean spirits see Jesus's teaching was authoritative he is the incarnate God of the universe verbalizing his teachings in human flesh it was authoritative if he said it it was true the anointing that was on his life was one of ultimate authority if he predicted it mark it down it's going to happen jesus spoke with a confidence and an authority this morning that can only be described as supernatural son of god and heaven sent the authority of jesus's teachings i guess if i had to summarize jesus's teachings jesus's teaching had content 
and it had power. Content, it was astonishing. The things that were said, man, it had content. But the authority behind it, it had power. And I, maybe, and y'all, you guys aren't preachers necessarily in this room, but if I could preach to myself for 30 seconds, may the preaching that comes forth from, my, from this stage here every Sunday be preaching that is content heavy and powerful. Content heavy and powerful. And may I say that's a balance that we ought to strike or that we ought to seek to strike in our teaching and in our preaching. Listen, there's plenty of people who can get up here and give you content. And they can study and they're smart and they can do that and that's great and that's wonderful. I'm all for that, but there's no power behind it. The Holy Spirit's not in any of it. It's simply an academic theological lecture. And this morning... I don't really want anything to do with that. If you're going to get up here and, and lecture me and all that, and there's not going to be the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. I don't want it. But on the other hand, let's be balanced. I also don't want someone to come over here and just scream and, and snort and do whatever and yell and scream and spirit-filled and have absolutely no biblical authoritative content that's coming out of their mouth. Just a bunch of nonsense. I believe teaching and preaching of the Bible ought to be a combination of both. It needs to be content heavy, but it needs the power of the Holy Spirit dripping off of it. And I'll say, there are some Sundays where we're in a text that that's a little difficult. I've got to be honest, the way we preach through the Bible, get ready for it, we, we actually preach the Bible. And so when we preach the Bible, there are some texts that don't yield themselves to me screaming and hollering. Okay, I understand that. But if you come for a two to three month period of time, you ought to leave here saying, listen, man, I really learned something. And man, wasn't that, man, the Holy Spirit really, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. That's the goal in Jesus right here in his teachings, astonishing and authoritative. And may that forever be our goal as we present God's word. But in his authority, it didn't stop with just what he was saying. Secondly, this morning, let's look at this, the the heart of a healer. The heart of a healer. Verse 23, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And by the way, that's, man, that struck me. The demons were like, hey, we know who you are. Basically saying, hey, these people might not know and they don't get it yet, but we know. We've been fighting this battle since Lucifer fell. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, what is this? What new By the way, the, the unclean spirit just very clearly stated what it was. It was the Holy Son of God. And the people, the church people, okay, the church people say, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. This portion of the text highlights two individuals who experienced healing at the hand of Jesus. 
These two individuals had unique needs. One was possessed by a demon. One was in need of physical healing. We will see this throughout the remainder of the book of Mark, but I I believe in this first kind of mention of it in the book, we need to pause for just a second and understand this. While Jesus had a world to save, he also had a woman specific to heal. While he had the entire sins of the universe to bear on his shoulders, he also had a man, individual, who had an unclean spirit. As much as we think there's a vastness to God and there is, we must understand that God always deals on the individual level. Whether it's for our salvation, whether it's for the needs in your life, God doesn't typically broad brush. God in his infinite power and wisdom and his his omnipresence can meet Jimmy, he can meet your need while he's meeting Tim's need. Two completely different needs. And he can meet your needs individually. And this morning, the God of the universe, praise his name, cared about someone's mother-in-law. He didn't probably care about his own mother-in-law. Jesus cared more about his mother-in-law. The God of the universe cared about a mother-in-law. The God of the universe cared about a demon-possessed man that would have been an outcast, Honestly, once again, placing ourselves back in time, that would mean in this room here over 2,000 years ago, there'd be someone demon-possessed speaking out with demons in the room here, just for awkwardness, just so you guys could get a feel for it. But that's what it was, and Jesus cared about the individual, and he always has, and he always will. And by the way, demon possession... We need to take it for what it's worth. I'm not here to give you a deep dive on it today. But more than likely, these demons were part of the fallen angels from the, those who fell with Lucifer, roughly a third of the angels in heaven. They've been oppressing believers for years as they continue to do. Here in America, we have been fortunate. that, I, I, To my knowledge, we don't have a lot of obvious demon possession. Not to say we don't have any. I believe we definitely have demon possession. But if you move outside the walls of this country, especially down in, in, in uh, Central South America and those regions and out in Asia, I'm sure there's, there's some of this. But demon possession, um, still something that's very valid. And as believers, we must understand that while we can be oppressed heavily by demonic nature we can be oppressed and it can oppress us and it can take root and hold in our lives however we can never be eternally possessed by them because we are eternally possessed by jesus christ through his precious blood and his holy spirit okay so while we can as christians i believe there's spiritual warfare i believe there's an unseen warfare that exists in this world between good and with and between evil And I believe that every now and then some of those come to an individual and they experience those things. As a believer, if we understand our Bibles, we can never be possessed by those. Uh, We can simply be oppressed. They might be able to influence us, but they cannot overtake us. Because greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. Because because John chapter 10 says that, that if you are his, you're of his sheep, you're his flock, you're in his hand. 
And you're not only in the hand of Jesus, but you're in the Father's hand. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. No demon, no sin, no evil, no wickedness this morning. But Jesus possessed the authority to heal. The authority this morning to heal the same Jesus that had all authority in the things that he spoke and in the teachings that he gave. He turned around and he then said, you must bow to my authority as he cast out the demons. As he removed the fever from Peter's mother-in-law. By the way, could this be one instance where Peter's like, hey, I'm going to make sure that we record my mother-in-law got healed by Jesus? Could be. Hey, Mark, make sure you put that in there. Let's go ahead and make it in the first chapter. All right, let's get it right there out in the open. My mother-in-law. Maybe Peter actually liked his mother-in-law. We don't know. But what, it, what did it show that Jesus would, would heal Peter's mother-in-law? Stick with me. The same people Jesus called Peter and James and John and Andrew to leave just a couple of verses ago. Leave your family. Jesus wanted to make sure Peter knew, but I love and I care about those. I'm, I'm asking you to, to leave. Like, I'm asking you to leave your family, but I want to make sure that you know that my hand of healing and my hand of touch, my hand of perfecting is on them. Jesus showed his commitment to his disciples and to their families, his love for them and his care for them. And Jesus went about healing. He didn't stop with the demon-possessed man or with Peter's mother-in-law. We're about to get to our clothes this morning, but Jesus didn't stop healing there. Jesus was a, he was a healer. And can I say this? Before we move into our last uh, point this morning, we believe in Jesus the healer. We believe in Jesus the healer at this church. We believe that Jesus can heal. Not only do we believe that Jesus can heal, we believe Jesus wants to heal. We believe Jesus will, will heal. We believe in that this morning. Now, keeping our, our teaching balanced, content, power, okay, keeping balanced. We believe Jesus can heal. And, and why do we believe that? Because he did it, and he did it on a consistent basis. Okay, listen to me so we don't get messed up in internet teaching and we don't get messed up on some crazy YouTube video or some fake Facebook video. By the way, there's a, there's a video of a woman uh, somewhere in, like, in, in the central uh, countries in Africa having her arm healed. And if you look at the, up that video, it's shared. There's like 17 different instances where she's had the same arm healed. So it's a fake. I saw literally like a friend of mine share this thing. And anyway, but uh, to keep us balanced, to keep us balanced, Jesus went about healing, and he didn't just heal in his terms. People brought people to be healed. Hey, Jesus, can you stop right there? Can you heal me? Sure, I'll heal you. I'll heal you. If you have faith, I can, I'll heal you. Here, let me rub this on your eyes, and you can see. And Listen, healers of today, it's amazing. They heal when the camera's on. They heal when their handlers are there to, like, pull people to the ground. But you don't, what you don't see is the healer walking through the Duke Children's Hospital. So the Jesus healer walks the streets and says, if you have faith, I'll heal you. Current modern false healers heal when the lights are on and the video's rolling and they're able to produce the content. 
And immediately the, the, the 800 number comes on where you can call in. So you want to see more of this, you can call in to give your donation. I'm sorry, it's, 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 uh, you, and you'll get a free book with your $20 donation. And that's what they say. Dude, that's a $20 book, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what school you went to. But, uh, but if, you, if i got to pay $20 donation for a book, that's a $20 book. But may we understand this morning, Jesus went about healing, and he healed everywhere he went. He healed when, honestly, he had removed himself sometimes. We'll find he had removed himself to be alone, and people would come to him even when he was trying to be alone, and he would heal them. He would be in a, in a huge crowd of people, and he'd heal people. So Jesus, the true healer, and that's who we believe the true healer is, he can heal it anytime, anytime, all the time. Now, we pray aggressively. I believe that God can heal through the faith of the prayers of his people. And man, I believe in, in, in intentional, specific, authoritative prayer for healing. But make no mistake, it ain't me healing. It's not you healing. Man, if God were to heal somebody, many in our church family that stand in need of healing today, man, it'd be all praise and all glory to God. So Jesus went about healing. But thirdly, I want us to see this is unique. I want to see the healings at nightfall. The healings at nightfall. Look at verse 32. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick. And those who were demon-possessed. The whole city was gathered together at the door. I mean, think about it. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak. Once again, showing his power, his authority. Because they knew him. Did I neglect this morning, and I, and, and I did on purpose, by the way, it's in my notes to say that. Did I neglect to share with you this morning that Jesus did these two healings in the synagogue on the Sabbath? Whoa. Uh-oh. As the kids say, full stop, right? Is that what they say? Uh, I'm not sure. You're right, is that what they say? No, all right, I won't say anymore. Um, but, uh... <laughs> Okay, pause. Jesus healed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, what Mark does not fully record, and as we remember two weeks ago, we went through five statements about not every gospel covers every inch of detail that happened in these stories. What I believe Mark is implying here is that the people... Okay, the law stated that the Sabbath concluded at nightfall. So whenever the sun went down and stars came in the sky, the Sabbath was over. So here's what happened. Well, here's what I think. I think Jesus healed and cast out the demons, and I think the religious people go, he did it on the Sabbath. He did it on the Sabbath. I cannot believe he healed on the Sabbath. What kind of man is this? Who is this? Because you know why I think that? Because they did it like 15 more times that we'll find out in the Gospels. Anytime Jesus did anything on the Sabbath... The church folks criticized him. Every single time. He could be like, I hope you have a good day. You said that on the Sabbath. I can't believe you said that. Anything Jesus did on the Sabbath, the church folks had a problem with it. So here's what happened. The people, the commoners, 
the city, the entire city. Hey, listen, I don't care when he did it. Something's going on there. But, but here's, what, here's, what, here's what it shows us. Here's what it shows. They flood the streets and they wait and they're trying to get to Jesus uh, to, to be healed and for their demon-possessed friends to be, to be cleansed. Uh, and they're, but they're waiting until the Sabbath concluded. So what does this tell us? This, tell us? this tells us that the people still trusted in the law before the lawgiver. This meant that even though they were astonished and wowed by his teachings, they were still scared to death to bring people to him on the Sabbath. It means that, yeah, Jesus, I acknowledge your power, but I acknowledge the law. And in this moment, the law is reigning supreme in my life. We're waiting until nightfall. So this tells us that people still trusted in the law, but this also tells us that Jesus healed them anyway. Jesus healed them anyway because Jesus didn't come for the good and the perfect and the, and the, and, and the redeemed. Jesus came for the outcast and the imperfect and the unredeemed. See, Jesus came for those people, and so what was Jesus doing? He was, meeting, he was meeting these physical and these mental needs in order to give them an opportunity to meet their spiritual needs. He was going to meet the physical and, and, and the mental needs that these folks had in order to have the opportunity to meet their, their real need, their spiritual need. And by the way, Jesus rarely, if ever, met a physical need without meeting the spiritual need need and so they waited for nightfall signifying the jews in that area so steeped in their tradition so steeped in the law that they wouldn't even bring the sick to jesus until the law said they could do it and to me that just spoke to me it's like i'm interested in jesus but i'm still committed to my traditions i'm still committed to the law i'm still committed to the synagogue. And certainly, once again, looking at it from our perspective, we're like, guys, what in the world? Like Jesus, the one who died on the cross. We hadn't died on the cross yet. He's Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. He hadn't risen from the dead yet. So I, I sympathize with these folks. Hey, listen, I've been taught this my entire life. He cannot heal on the Sabbath, yet he just healed on the Sabbath. I tell you what I'll do. I'll wait as soon as the sun goes down. I'm going I'm I'm to take my, my family member to I'm going to take my aunt. I'm going to take my uncle, my, my parents. I'm going to take them to Jesus. He begins to show his authority, once again, not allowing the demons to speak. Showing his power over their mouths and their tongues. What was Jesus doing in this text today? He was slowly, yet I believe radically, making the case that he was a man from another world. Jesus was slowly making the case that all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Jesus' words. Jesus was making the case this morning that he has authority in his words. And if I could sum it up today, that's how I'd do it. Number one, Jesus shows his authority. 
through his words. If Jesus says it, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. He shows his authority through his words. But he didn't just do that. He also showed his authority through his works. Through his works. Jesus backed up his talk. Jesus, his walk talked louder than his talk talked. And his talk was pretty loud. Jesus said, I'm not only going to teach you in the synagogue, but I'm going to heal in the synagogue. And I'm going to heal whoever shows up at my house tonight. Jesus said, my words are powerful. My words have authority. Jesus said, but my works, they're powerful. And my works, they have authority. What does that mean for us in closing this morning? First, it means as followers of Jesus, we can stand on the authority of Jesus' words. Listen, if what Jesus says goes against culture, we can stand on Jesus' words. They have authority. Your word doesn't. His word does. As difficult as it may be sometimes as a pastor who's trying to stay true to God's word, if someone has a difficult question for me that I know may affect them personally and may hurt their, their feelings, as difficult as it is, I, there's a comfort in knowing that I can say, technically this is not even what I think about it. Like, this, is what, this is what his word says about it. And I made, a, I made a commitment a long time ago that his word was my authority. As Christians and believers, we can stand on the authority of Jesus' words. That way, that's the reason why I don't get caught up in these political debates about different political things. I, there's a lot of political things that end up that are actually biblical things. So if anybody like my opinion on biblical things, I'll tell them what I believe the Bible says about it. I don't care if that's a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever it is. At the end of the day, it's Jesus and his word. And we can stand on the authority of God's word. Period. Secondly, as followers of Jesus, we can point to the works. Of point, I'm sorry, we can point to the authority of Jesus' works. We can point to the authority of Jesus' works. You either believe who he is or you reject who he is. You either believe what he did was true or you believe what Jesus did was completely made up. Those are your two options. Believe that it's true or completely reject it as falsehood this morning. The good thing about it is none of this was up to you. It was all up to Jesus. And his all-powerful authority. What's the best thing about Jesus' authority? What's the best thing about the words that he spoke and the works that he performed while he was on earth? Well, the best thing about it is that he came preaching repentance and belief in the gospel. He came preaching the kingdom of God authoritatively. And this morning, Jesus has authority in every part of your life, whether you give it to him or not. Jesus has lordship over anything and everything he wants in this world, whether you give it to him or not. He is Lord. And we need to look at that as Christians 
with worship, uh, with, with, a, with a soberness, with an acknowledgement of the power and authority that Jesus has. If you're an unbeliever today, all authority and power was given to a human man. He was no common human man. He was God-man. But all power was given to a man named Jesus. Now, you can choose to reject that name, and you can choose to not believe in faith what Scripture says about that man, and that is, that is up to you. God has given you a free will to believe or not to believe. But today, maybe in the Scripture, you saw the authority that he taught with, that he spoke with, and that he lived out in his works. That's the kind of man who loved you and who died for you. That man with that authority, the man who was put up on a cross, he was not, he was not forcefully put there. He willingly got up on a cross and, and shed his blood for you, knowing he could have come down off of that cross. He says he could have called angels, right? He didn't even have to do that. He could have stepped right off. The man with that power and that authority died for you. He died for you. The gospel simply says that not only did he die for you because of your sin, but that he resurrected and he raised himself from the dead to show victory and power over sin. That's the authority we stand on this morning. If you've never trusted in Jesus today, what a day. What a day. The man who went about calling demons out of men's bodies, healing a lady in her home, astounding the church folks with his teaching, healing the city. The city showed up at his door. That's the man who wants to save you. That's the man who wants to love you. That's the man who wants you with him for, in your eternity. That's Jesus. And Jesus loves you. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.